Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. My name is Pastor Brad. I'm the worship arts pastor here at New Life. It's a great joy for me to be able to welcome you. If this is your first time here with us today, I want to say a special welcome to you. Thanks for being our guest today. We hope you've enjoyed your experience so far. And uh, really, just really glad to have you. If you're a regular attender, welcome back. I want to take a moment and welcome those of you joining us on Facebook Live. We're so glad to have you with us here today. Welcome to church, uh, and thanks for worshiping uh, with us. We're so excited to begin this brand new series called The Four Wills of God. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever asked the question, what is God's will for my life? Have you ever asked that question? If you're, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus in here today, have you ever asked that question? I know that I have. And the reason that we ask that question is because I think that we think that the the will of God is clouded to us. But the reality is it's extremely clear. We learn the will of God from Jesus, the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Peter. And when we know the will of God and then we can operate within that framework, what we discover is that we can have tremendous freedom in making decisions. You see, as I've been a Christian for, for many, many years now, and as I look across the church, particularly in America, I see a lot of, in particular, young people ask this question very often, what's God's will for my life? And in, in some ways, I feel like we're putting God in a box, saying, you know, this is the only thing that God has for me to do completely throughout my whole life without any deviation. And the reality is we as Christians need to stop putting God in a box, Because once we understand the will of God and we operate within that framework, then we can marry whomever we want. We can have the job uh, wherever we want. We can go to school wherever we want because when we're operating in the framework of God's will, then what we do is is not quite as important as, as being a part of the will of God. And really, that's what we're hoping to understand throughout this series. You see, in the New Testament... The will of God is explained in four explicit ways. There are four wills of God named by Jesus, Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, that come together to make God's ultimate will. And I want to share those with you right now. So if you're following along in your outline and you want to pull that out, I would encourage you to do that. It's uh, right here, and you can fill this in. And I want to encourage you, listen, fill this out because this is something you can take with you, put in your Bible, or put somewhere that you know where it is so that, that when you're coming back to this and you might feel like, hey, what's the will of God for my life? You can go to this and look at that and know right where it is. So we're going to look at this. Number one, the first will of God of the four wills is to believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Number two, give thanks in everything. Number three, submit in doing right. And finally, number four, abstain from sexual sin. So the first thing we want to do is believe in Jesus. Then we're going to give thanks in everything. Then we're going to submit in doing right. And then we're going to abstain from sexual sin. And when we live our lives within this framework of the four wills of God, which together make up his ultimate will for us, then we have incredible, incredible freedom. We really, really do. Now, how do we know that these are the wills of God? Well, the Apostle Paul and Jesus and Peter, 
They actually say, listen, this is God's will for you. And so if you're a follower of Jesus in here today, whenever we see that, uh, when, when we look at the Apostle Paul's writings or Jesus as, as he was, um, the accounts were given by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, and John, as we look at those things and we see this is God's will for you, our ears should go, whoa, hey, hey, we need to pay attention here. And our minds should turn on because if we see something in the Scripture that says, hey, this is the will of God, then as Christians, we need to be very much aware of that and live that out. And so we know that the authors in the New Testament said, these are the will of God, or this is my Father's will for you, or this is God's will to believe in Jesus, to abstain from sexual sin, to give thanks in everything, and to submit in doing right. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that God doesn't have specific work for you and for me to do. He does. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us that in Ephesians chapter 2. Here's what he says. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God prepared work for us to do before the foundations of the world were ever laid. He said, Brad French, in the year 2018, is going to be doing this. So he has specific work for us to do. And we discover that specific work through prayer and discernment with him. But that work is found within the, the framework of the will of God. You know, Jesus had some specific work to do, you know, because we often say, well, what is the work? Well, our work is to do the same work that Jesus did. And Jesus tells us that his work was to do the will of his father. Well, what's the will of God? Well, we know, believe in Jesus, abstain from sexual sin, give thanks and everything, submit in doing right. And so Jesus was doing all of those things. But the specific work that Jesus had to do was he had to come here and live a perfect life. He had to die a death we should have died on the cross. He, he, he was raised back to life again by God on the third day, overcoming sin and death forever. And now, when we put our faith and belief in Jesus, then we are welcomed in his family. That was Jesus' specific work. And if Jesus had not done his specific work, then none of us would be in this room today. Right? I, I love it. Jesus says, you know, to the, to the people who were around him, he said, you know, I don't want you to, to think for a minute that I could call down myriads of angels and they would come down and they would rescue me. Jesus didn't do that. He could have done it, but he didn't do that. He followed through with the work that God gave him to do within the framework of the will of God. And he accomplished that work. And then, because he was able to do that, when we believe in that, then we can enter into the framework of the will of God. And we can do the work that God designed for us to do before the foundations of the earth were laid. And we can participate in the will of God. In fact, Jesus invites us to do that. Look at this in Matthew chapter 28. Here's what he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, and as you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So what Jesus does is he invites us to, into his redemptive work on the earth. He's saying, hey, listen, God gave me work to do. He's given you work to do. And that work comes under the will of God. And part of the will of God is to go and tell people about Jesus. So no matter what the specific work is that we have to do, part of that work is to believe in Jesus, abstain from sexual sin, give thanks in everything, and submit in doing right. Why? Because that's under the framework of the will of God. And we do the specific work. And as we do the specific work, we work out 
our work by discernment, by asking God, you know, what is it that you would have me do? Where is it that you would have me do that? And, and, and we can kind of work that out. Because, you know, the Apostle Paul said to the Philippian church, he said, listen, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And, and part of what Paul meant there is that we are to discern, but in our relationship with God through prayer, you know, God, what is it that you want me to do today? What is the work that you have called me to do that I can accomplish for you, for your kingdom, under the will of you? And so we, we come into that. Now, let me give you an example of this, how this works out practically. Let's say that you uh, have a job offer in New York City and in Los Angeles. Okay, and both job offers are really good. They both pay very, very well. It's whatever dream job you have. And, and, and you have a choice. Are you going to go to New York City or are you going to go to Los Angeles? And, and you're not quite sure what to do. Well, the first place to start is to say, listen, of these two cities, Los Angeles or, or New York, which of these cities will allow me to live out the will of God the very best? Which one is going to help me believe Jesus more? Which one is going to help me abstain from sexual sin? Which one is going to help me be more thankful in my relationship with God? And which one will allow me in, to submit in doing right? And here's the thing. You might look at that and go, hmm, both of them. Both of them will do that. Well, then you choose. You choose. Why? Because the work that God has given you to do, if through discernment, it's not very specific, like you need to go here and do this work, then you have a choice. And God will be pleased with, with whichever you choose. You see, I think so often we, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we get tied down into this, oh my goodness, if I don't do the right thing. And God say, no, 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 listen, operate under the will, under my will, and you can do the work that I've called you to do really wherever if it's not a specific location because God is so much bigger. I love Isaiah. Isaiah said his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So God is orchestrating everything. He knows where we're going to go, what we're going to do, and he's going to be able to work within that because our God is not a God who fits in a box. So when we operate under the framework of the will of God, when we believe in Jesus, abstain from sexual sin, give thanks in everything, and submit in doing right, then God gives us tremendous freedom to choose. And we can choose where we can best do the work that God has called us to do. So let's dig into this a little bit. We're going to look at, at the first will of God that's part of the four wills that makes up God's ultimate will. So the first will of God is to believe in Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given to me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see the Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. So notice that Jesus starts off by saying that God has a will, and Jesus has a will, but his will is to do the will of God. So Jesus wants to step into the life that God had for him, the will that God had for him. And part of that will was to allow people to believe and trust in him. Jesus says, it is my father's will. Again, as followers of Jesus, we should be going, hey, if this is Jesus' father's will, then he's my father too because I've been adopted in his family. We're going to talk about that today. And when, I, when I'm part of that family, then this is the will of my father. So I need to be paying close attention 
Jesus says, it's my Father's will that all who see the Son and believe in him should have eternal life, and then I will raise them up on the last day. So Jesus makes clear that God's will is for people to believe in him and receive eternal life. It's the first step to know and experience God's life. It's the way God designed it. The Apostle Peter tells us something very important because a lot of us, we think after we accept Jesus, we think, man, Jesus said he's going to come back. Why isn't he coming back today? Why isn't he coming back tomorrow? Why, why does he not seem to be coming back soon? I mean, it's been 2,000 years. So if we're struggling with that today, you can imagine the Apostle Paul's like, where you at? Looking at his Apple watch, you know, trying to determine the time. When is Jesus coming back? Don't have a notification for that, right, you know? And they're waiting and waiting and waiting, and it just seems like, man, it's been over 2,000 years. Jesus, where are you? And the Apostle Peter tells us, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God is being patient so as many people as possible can experience his will to believe in Jesus. You see, God wants people... To be part of his family. God wants people to be part of his family. Jesus told us through many parables that God goes after the one that was lost. God goes after the one that was lost. And, and when it is found, there's rejoicing. That Jesus tells us there's rejoicing in heaven. Why? Because what has been lost is now found. In other words, it's, it's like we're, we're just lost children looking for a father who will love us. And Jesus is saying that father is your heavenly father who created you, who has work for you to do. And your life is not going to make any sense outside of the context of a relationship with God. You see, so many of us, we, we will try to do whatever it takes to find fulfillment in our life. We will chase money, sex, drugs, power, whatever it is that we want in order to feel life. And the reality, that life is only found in a relationship with God. And our lives will not make sense outside of that relationship. And so we must believe in Jesus. You see, that's what Jesus wanted us to understand, that we have a heavenly Father who loves us perfectly. So the first step to know God's will for our lives is to know Jesus. That's our take-home point for today. That's the thing I hope that you'll walk out of here and know today. That to know God's will, we must first know Jesus. To know God's will, we must first know Jesus. We will not know God's will if we do not know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. If we do not believe in Jesus, if we do not participate in the first will of God, we will not understand or experience the will of God in our lives. It's not possible because we have not entered into that relationship. For instance, it's like trying to be married without a spouse, right? Like you're trying to navigate that, like it's really weird, but you don't have a spouse, so you don't know how, how to react or how to respond. That's what it's like when we try to live life without, without a context of relationship with God. We have to have the relationship with God to understand and fully know the will of God and experience that. So this first will to believe in Jesus is absolutely crucial. God's will for you is to belong with him. God's will for you is to belong with him. That's why Jesus said you need to believe in him. And here's why. 
God, Jesus told us, that God sent Jesus into the world. Not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Now, how did Jesus do that? Well, God sent Jesus into the world. He was born of a virgin. And as he was born, he, he was both fully man and fully God. And listen, I know we can't really understand that. But what we do need to understand, and, and listen, there's a lot of theology under this, and I'm not going to get into very much of it, but I just want us to understand this, that because Jesus was fully man, he can connect with you and I. We can connect with him because he was fully man. He was tempted just like we're tempted. He had pains in his body just like you and I have pains in our body. And yet he was still fully God. So he connects with us as human beings, but being fully God it allowed him to do a couple of things that are very important. Number one, he never sinned while he was on the earth. The other thing is, it allows him to die in his death on the cross. It allows him to pay and make a payment for human beings. Because he's God, existing outside of time and space, he's able to pay for all the sins of all people, past, present, and future. Incredible. So Jesus, fully man and fully God, lived a perfect life. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us that God has a standard, and that standard is perfection. And what he says is all human beings, aside from Jesus, have fallen short of the glory of God. And what that means is that none of us could get into heaven or be in perfect relationship with Jesus or, or God based on our own merit. Right? And, and we know this. We know that none of us are, are good. Like, nobody ever had to teach me how to lie, steal, or cheat or do any of the things that, that I shouldn't do that are, by the way, outside of the will of God. The will of God does not contain uh, uh, sin. He does not will for us to sin. He doesn't will for us to live lives of sin. But the Apostle Paul said that because sin is in the world, we have this sin nature, and all of us fall short of God's glory. And so God sent Jesus into the world to do something that you and I can't do, to live the life that we couldn't live, to live a perfect life. And Jesus did that all the way up to the cross. Jesus lived a perfect life. And then Jesus was arrested, betrayed by one of his own. And, and, and he was arrested and he was illegally tried. And he was put to death on a cross. And this is significant because Jesus' death on the cross was a death that was substitutionary. And what that means is that Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. In essence, he took on the sin of the world, the scripture says. He took on the sin of the world on the cross, and he died there. And because he died there in our place, then our sin could be forgiven. I mean, this is just an incredible thing. That Jesus, the Son of God, would die on a cross for Brad Friend. That he would die on the cross for you. What an incredible God that we have. That he would do that. And so Jesus died there on the cross in our place. He died the death that we should have died. And then he was buried. And three days later, God raised him back to life again. Overcoming sin and death forever. And the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus actually appeared to, to over 500 people. And that... And that we, could, you know, we can bank on that because these were eyewitnesses that Jesus was resurrected. And when Jesus was resurrected, something very powerful happened in the spiritual realm. Sin and death were defeated. And now the Apostle John says in the first chapter of his gospel, <coughs> excuse me, he says, 
that we can be adopted into his family when we believe. And so when we're adopted into God's family because we believe in Jesus, then he says we receive a new life. And the Apostle Paul says that when we receive that new life, it's like we put on a new garment. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see Brad French and his sin. He sees Jesus and his perfection. And he says, come on, my child. Welcome to my family. Now, that's just amazing that God would do that for you and me. But that's what Jesus did. Apostle John said, Jesus, the word, became flesh. He dwelled among us. He lived, died, rose again so that we could be part of his family. So God wants all of us to belong in his family. He wants all of us to believe in Jesus. That is the the number one thing to experience the will of God is to believe in Jesus and to know him as our Savior and Lord. So this is God's will for you. Whether you're, you're already a believer, whether you follow Jesus right now or not, God's will for you is that you would believe Jesus. So if you're not a believer in here today, I want to invite you in just a minute to believe in Jesus for the first time. Now the question is, why, why would God do that? Why would God send Jesus? And the answer is, Jesus tells us, because God loved you and me so much that he sent Jesus into the world to live, die, and rise again and offer us a brand new life. He did it because he loved. The Apostle John said, God is love, and and we love because he first loved us. And so out of the motivation of love, God did this incredible thing for us to know him, to be in relationship with him, and for our lives to make sense in that context. And so if you're trying to do life today without Jesus, I just, I, I'm just going to be really upfront with you, okay? It's going to be screwed up. It's not going to make sense. But if you will today make a decision and a commitment to follow Jesus, it's not going to be like all of a sudden everything's going to make sense, but God will begin to show you because then you will be in relationship with him. You will be walking in the will of God. And so I want to pray for you today. And I'm just going to pray and I'm going to ask you to, in your hearts, just just repeat after me, just agree with me in prayer and make a commitment to Jesus. And after I pray, I'm going to then explain also to those of us who have decided to follow Jesus, what does it mean to continue to believe in Jesus? So I I don't want you to, to lose touch here because we're going to talk about something very important, but I do want to stop right now and I just want to pray. If you're in here today and for the very first time, you want to decide and commit to follow Jesus. I want to pray for you. So please close your eyes and bow your heads. Nobody's looking around. This is a very intimate moment between you and your heavenly father. And he wants to speak to you today. He wants you to become part of his family. And if that's you today, then you know in this moment you need to uh, repeat this prayer in your heart after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I need a Savior. I admit that I am lost and I need you. I believe in Jesus today. I believe that he came, that he lived a life I couldn't live, that he died a death I should have died, and that he was raised back to life again, overcoming sin and death forever. 
And now, Lord, I commit my life to you. I trust you. I ask you to lead me as I step into the will of knowing you, that you would guide me, lead me into the work that you have called me to do, and help me to live in the framework of your will today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you prayed that prayer today, I want to just say welcome to the family. We're so glad that you made that decision and that commitment today. Because your life now has changed, not just for here and now. Jesus said we can have this life now, which is really awesome, but for eternity. You see, the decisions we make now matter for eternity. And we all make decisions whether to decide or not to decide. We're going to talk about that a little bit more next week. But the decisions we make now, they matter for eternity. So if we decide to follow Jesus in this life, then we will be with him forever. But if we do not then we will not be with him. That's what Jesus said. So we must make the decisions in this life count because they matter for eternity. So if you're a believer in here today and you're thinking, well, all right, well, I got the first part of the will of God down, that's, that's great. I'm, I'm so glad that you believe in Jesus. But I just want to challenge you a little bit more. There's probably things in, in your life, because there are in mine, that I have not truly believed Jesus for. Things that he said he would provide. Things that he said he would do. Like he says, do not worry. Your heavenly father knows everything that you need. He will provide for it. What does he say? He says, instead, focus first on God's kingdom. Some of us in here, we need to believe God for that. We need to stop living lives of worry. Others of us in here today, we, we need to start believing God in the areas of, of finances. We might need to take a step of obedience and, and, and begin to, to actually tithe. Because if God truly, if we put the kingdom of God first, then he's going to provide. And we need to stop worrying. We need to stop holding on to something that really belongs to God anyway. We need to believe Jesus for that. Some of us in here, we need to... We need to believe Jesus for some really serious heart issues that we have. Whether it's greed, lust, anger. We need to stop and we need to open up the word of God and see what Jesus said. And listen, if you want to do that, Matthew chapter 5. Start there and just read for like three, two chapters. And let Jesus speak to you. And take him at his word. And believe him. And let him tear down the walls in your heart and come and fill you up. So believe Jesus. And, and that's a next step that all of us in here, we can take this week. Whether it's for the first time or whether it's for something in our lives that we just need to give to Jesus. We need to believe him for it. Today's next step is I will believe Jesus this week. I will believe Jesus this week for whatever it is that you need to believe Jesus for if you've already trusted him as Lord and Savior. So I want to pray for you now. And I really do believe that in this moment, God's going to begin to break down walls, that miracles are going to happen inside of your bodies, inside of your hearts, and that God is going to work. So if you would, please close your eyes and bow your heads. And I'm just going to pray over you today and allow the, the
the Holy Spirit just to work inside of your heart. So Holy Spirit, we invite you. Help us to believe Jesus in the areas of our lives where we are holding on and not truly believing him. Help us to not be practical Christian atheists, but to rather be people who believe Jesus for everything in our lives. Help us to love you, to give you the honor and the glory that you deserve. Help us to live lives empowered by you because we know in our own power we can't do it. So Jesus, meet us here in this place today and help us believe you more and trust you from the inside out. Jesus' name.